Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. All right, welcome to another off-season edition of the program. And Dan, let's just jump right into it. It's been a fun kind of action-packed off-season for the Giants. This week, more of the same. Well, we knew they had to address the one that got away, Dalvin Tomlinson. I think that's the one player that he goes and signs with the Vikings for, it wasn't a lot of money. I think fans and even us on the show, we were a little confused about what they were doing there. But I don't know, maybe we're starting to get some clarity, right? The uh, Giants have signed a key piece to help replace Tomlinson. And Danny Shelton, another well-known name around the league. This is a one-year deal. It's a a six-foot-two, three hundred thirty-five-pound behemoth of a man, right? That Joe Judge must know pretty well because Shelton was with New England when Judge was with New England. Right. Uh, Shelton played with the Lions last year, former first-round pick, and you put on Giants wire that you think it's just a natural fit for Patrick Graham and what he wants to do on D. So, I know you like this signing. Uh, tell me about it. What, like, what do you like the most? Well, you know, listen, like you said, after the first few days of free agency, we were pretty critical of Gettleman and the Giants. And, and even I said, you know, I don't see what it is that they're doing, especially after they let Dalvin Tomlinson walk. Um, so obviously it was key for the Giants to sort of replace that loss. And, you know, I'll be the first to say I, I don't know if they're going to replace that loss in terms of the locker room, uh, having him as an NFLPA rep. Uh, you know, Walter Payton, Man of the Year nominee. There's a lot of loss there. But on the field, um, you know, I kind of understand now a little bit more why the Giants were moving certain pieces in what direction and what it is they were trying to do. And ultimately what it boiled down to is they're deep along the defensive line. You know, it was, you know, the start of the show last year for them. And um, they kind of just wanted to relocate, you know, some resources and other areas, which they obviously did with Adore Jackson and Kenny Galladay and some other big-time signings that they made. Obviously, a lot of money to Leonard Williams. And then they used, you know, smaller amounts of money, lower-end contracts. Um, you know, someone like Austin Johnson who could come in and play that role. He's familiar with with uh, Patrick Graham's system. And then they go out and sign to Danny Shelton, who's just your pure nose tackle, A-gap kind of, you know, run stuffer. He'll move linemen in the direction that the play is flowing. He'll clog up lanes. He'll stop the run. He's not going to rush the passer in the same way that Dalvin Tomlinson was capable of. But that's why you've got players like B.J. Hill, you know, a uh, depth guy who's more than capable of, of rushing the passer, set the Giants' rookie record for sacks a couple seasons ago. So, um, you know, they're going to use multiple bodies to go in and replace Dalvin Tomlinson. And by doing that, it allowed them to go out and have the sort of spending spree that they had. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a solid sign. It, it, it kind of fits with what it was that they needed. And above all else, it opens them back up in the draft because that was one of the last remaining positions that they really desperately needed to dress was that pure nose tackle. Um, so with Shelton in tow now, they can really basically just cast a wide net when the draft rolls around. Oh, yeah, they, they could go a multitude of different ways, and we, and we will talk about that here coming up. A lot of draft talk coming up later in the program. But one thing I'm a little worried about right now, Dan, is that there's there's a, a Lions to Giants pipeline for me. I don't want the Giants to become the Detroit Lions, right? I mean, <laughs> Shelton, Galladay, they, they picked up Reggie Ragland. So I, I guess, like, that's just kind of a joke, right? We don't want to become the Lions, but they're picking up all the Lions' good players, I guess, or good free agents. So that's well, I thing. mean, hey, listen, they brought in uh, Kyle O'Brien as a, a senior executive sure, from the Lions there, there last year, there so there's your connection to 
to have that that is flowing and you know granted yes i don't necessarily want to see the giants become the lions but you know in terms of the players they picked up galladay's a superstar plaxico burris like wide receiver shelton comes in he'll play that rotational nose tackle role and reggie raglan can obviously he'll come in and compete for you know an inside linebacker spot next to uh blake martinez and you know if he wins great if not then it's quality better in depth uh i don't really want to see him poured on any further at this point you pretty much cherry pick the best of the former lions that are available so you know maybe maybe move on to the next team yeah that, that was my attempt at being funny um but uh so speaking of funny every time john Mara talks i i get a kick out of it dan and you actually got a couple articles on giants wider out of this uh, conversation or this interview oh, he had with a new york post it. yeah so Mara, he's comparing joe judge to tom coughlin and bill parcells and and John, yeah, we, we love Judge, but he went 6-10 and 10 last year. Uh, but, you know, he, he feels Daniel Jones is ready to help the Giants win a Super Bowl. Uh, and then he kind of shifts gears. He discusses that the Giants, you know, they are 18-46 and 46 over the last four seasons. And admitted, Dan, that he's losing patience, would, would like the Giants to stop being a crappy team. And I'm paraphrasing. Stop being crappy and actually be good and could, <laughs> can, you know, contend for Super Bowls, be back in the playoffs, be the Giants of old. Uh, so he just goes all over the place in this conference. I love this thing. I, I could read John Mara uh, comments all day long. You know, what do you think about that conversation? What was your lead takeaway off of that? Listen, I know that some Giants fans have pretty much lost their patience with John Mara and the organization. But I think the thing that gets lost in translation is how much Mara is a fan of his own team. He, he loves football. He loves the Giants. He loves the Giants in the way that his father, Wellington, loved the Giants. And... You know, when he talks sometimes and you hear some of these comments, it rubs some people the wrong way because they just want him to be your stereotypical owner. And he's just not that guy. He's never going to be that guy. He's very engaging with fans. He'll write them back. Like He'll literally read fan mail and write personalized letters back to fans in the same way that his father did. They view Giants fans as customers, and they desperately want to put a good product on the field for the customers. So I understand his frustration as both an owner and a fan. And I think that's refreshing because you don't get this sort of robotic, you know, um, scripted take that you get from so many other owners not named Jerry Jones across the league. And um, there is something nice and refreshing about that that I think fans should appreciate. And if the Giants were winning, they would appreciate it. Um, As far as the other things he said, listen, you've heard me say it for over a year now. I absolutely agree with this take on Daniel Jones. Time is, you know, it's ticking. It's obviously ticking. But I do agree that Jones is capable of not only winning the Giants one Super Bowl, potentially many Super Bowls, as long as they continue to surround him with talent, which is what they tried to do for the past two years. I also understand his take on Joe Judge as it relates to Tom Coughlin and Bill Belichick. There is a very similar militaristic style to Judge, a very detail-oriented, almost obsessive detail-oriented mm-hmm. side of Joe Judge, which it's just it, it works. It always has worked. I know we kind of have evolved in the NFL to this belief where every coach needs to be a player's coach and every player needs to be coddled. And and that's just not the way it is. They don't respond positively to that. We saw that with Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo, who are both considered players, guys, Shermer in particular. And they're nice guys. They're good people. They're not great coaches because of that personality fault. And Judge doesn't have that. He's not an excuse guy like Coughlin wasn't. He's not an excuse like guy like Belichick is now, not excuse guy like Saban's always been. Um, There's a reason why he's cut from that same cloth as they all sort of come from the same coaching tree in one way or another 
or, you know, like a spider web, they're all sort of connected. So I do see that in judge. And I think that's, that's a blessing for the giants to have that kind of coach who can be a Tom Coughlin, who can be a Bill Belichick, but can also be a personable coach to the players that they both respect and look up to. And that's sort of the culture that's evolved over the last year plus with the giants. And, and I think that's what breeds the optimism uh, in Mara. No, I caught that, Dan. That's a subtle little dig at Belichick. We'll have to answer for that off the air, okay? I'm going to have to talk to you later about that. Uh, you're in big trouble now. Uh, no, but uh, you know, speaking of you know being subtle, you know, Merrick kind of, he's putting a little bit of pressure on the team, right? He does have this great quote in there where he says, well, they can't call us cheap anymore. They can call us dumb, but they can't call us cheap, right? And he, so he has that cool little quote. And basically, he say, he's not saying like playoffs are bust, but he's definitely upping the ante. Yep. You know, he's not, nobody's on the hot seat. You know, he, he talked you know glowingly about Judge and, and Jones as we talked about there. But look, the Giants have gotten basically straight A's across the board for their free agency, except for the Washington Post, right? They got the B for the Washington <laughs> Post. Yeah, but every, Yeah, it's stunning. But, uh, but across the board, basically everyone's high on what the Giants have done in the free agency. Everyone's loving it. And the owners, he's talking like, look, the expectations, the bar has been raised, right? The expectations are high and they should be. So... I kind of like that. Just like a subtle little, just a hint. Like, yeah, you know, he's talking like a fan. But at the same time, he's like, yo, but we better win. I don't think any of us are lost on the reality that if the Giants don't win at this point, heads are going to roll. That's Look just, it's just <laughs> yeah. the way that it is. And I actually felt like, yeah, it was sort of a stern warning, but it also was with gloves on a little bit. Uh, it, he didn't come right out and say, listen, if this doesn't work out, we're blowing this thing back up. But let's just be honest at this point. The Giants haven't won in a long time. We're going on a decade now. And if they don't turn this thing around and this rebuild just continues to recycle and recycle and recycle, Mara's not going to have a choice. You know, he's handcuffed in that situation. Gettleman's going to have to go. If Gettleman goes, Daniel Jones is likely going to go. The fear in that scenario is, is what happens to Joe Judge in that scenario where a new general manager comes in and wants to have his own guys. And I don't. I think Merrick desperately wants to avoid that situation, and I think that's more along the lines of what he was trying to express with that comment to his team, to his front office, to the general manager. It's like, listen, we're headed in the right direction, but you've got to put the wins on the paper now. Otherwise, my hand is going to be forced, and that's not going to be good for anybody, including the organization. So the pressure should be on the Giants now. It should be on Gettleman. It should be on Jones. It should be on Judge. You've got to win now. You, you know, you've had two great free agencies in a row. You had a very good draft last year. You're in a great position to have another good draft this year, even with only six picks. There aren't any more excuses. You've got everything that you need to go out and function and win in an NFL that is built in a way that teams can turn around quickly. The Giants haven't done that in 10 years. So, yeah, I, I'm with Mary on that. You've, you've got to win now. That's just all there is to it. After a very highly graded free agency period, now the Gi- it's easy to forget that the Giants have the number eleven pick in the draft as well, and this is a this is a good spot to be considering that everyone's picking quarterbacks here in this top ten, so players are going to be sliding to the Giants. So Dan had this great article on Giants Wire of five potential rookies that could come to the team. They're all really good prospects. They're all different positions. What the hell could the Giants do at number eleven? Who could be available? Oh, there's all kinds of names. We'll get to all that coming up next. So as we've been kind of hinting about, Dan, the Giants could go all kinds of different ways here at number 11 in this draft. Should be a lot of good players available. A lot of different kinds of players. I think we're kind of aligned on some of the players that we really like. But first of all, 
obviously the big news for the draft right now is the movement at the top, right? The 49ers making that move with the with the Dolphins to jump up from 12 to 3 and whew, the price tag to move up. I don't know, yeah. if, if, you know, for anyone who maybe for, like if you're the Broncos at number nine, thinking about moving up to to get into the quarterback mix. I don't know. That's a that's a hefty price tag. Don't think you're going to do it, given the talent that's going to be available there at nine, ten, eleven. Right. No, thank you. So the Niners, the Dolphins, the Eagles all making trades, kind of shaking up the top of that draft. It really looks like the top four picks could easily be quarterbacks, right? Because you get the Falcons at number four as well. You know the 49ers are picking a quarterback now. They basically admitted it, Shanahan and John Lynch, they basically admitted it in their in their presser. So uh, quarterbacks are just going to be flying off the board early. You know, what do you think that shakeup at the top means? Like, how does that change things for the Giants at number 11, Dan? Well, it creates an interesting scenario. Um, obviously, some talent's going to drop to them now that they may not have otherwise had an opportunity to, you know, select if they didn't move up. I think... One part of the scenario, though, I would rather say the other part of the scenario is that if one of those quarterbacks or even two of those quarterbacks, for whatever crazy reason, and you never know what's going to happen in the NFL draft, if they do start to slip down, it puts the Giants in this really, really interesting scenario where, as you mentioned, you saw some of the the holes that these teams are getting um, for these top picks because there is such a room in quarterbacks, it would put Gettleman and the Giants in this really interesting scenario where they could potentially trade back, get you know a monster ransom for that pick, and then still end up with one of these quality players. And I know people will immediately scream, Gettleman's never traded down in his life as general manager. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. But – you know, there's a lot of things that we've seen Gettleman do in the last two years that he's never done before. So, you know, it's certainly a possibility if one of them or two of those quarterbacks do slip. And there's a part of me, and I think a part of a lot of Giants fans out there, that think that would, you know, be more beneficial to them. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, they're still in a great position because, as we mentioned earlier, one, you know, they basically can cast a wide net now because they've addressed most of their serious needs. And two, with that run of quarterbacks at the top, they're going to have a pick of, you know, basically anybody they want at multiple different positions. Seriously, yeah. And, right. And, and you know, now they could legitimately go best player available based on need. And that's the exact sort of scenario that you want to be in going into the draft. You don't want to be there at number 11. You're put on the clock and it's like, oh, we have to take either this position or that position. And a couple of the guys are already gone. They don't have to worry about that now. Whoever it is that's at the top of the draft board, that's their guy, and that's a great position to be in. No, there's no doubt. And you had this cool article about five rookies who could land with the Giants at number 11. There's all kinds of great names on here, names that people that are paying attention to mock drafts are probably hearing all the time. Patrick Sertan, who we know the you know the corner out of Alabama, who we know the Cowboys mm-hmm. are obsessed with. Uh, Micah Parsons from Penn State, the linebacker. I've seen him getting mocked to everybody, uh, including the Giants at number 11. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Pitts is I think we we're aligned that if if Kyle Pitts the tight end from Florida the freak of nature that is Kyle Pitts if he mm-hmm. finds his way to number 11 somehow don't even wait 15 minutes you know the the allotted time just just put the pick in and just run with Kyle Pitts we want him <laughs> just we, run. we all want Kyle Pitts I don't know how he gets past the Dolphins and the Broncos no, and the yeah. Cowboys but you never, you know, it's crazy you never you know could. you never know but for some reason, Dan, I'm reading through all these options and all these these are all really good prospects, guys that could come in and if they're not like a really key rotational player, be a starter for you day one. If for some reason I stop at Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, the offensive mm-hmm. lineman that you wrote about, obviously Kevin Zeitler is out. 
this kid can play. He projects as a tackle, but you could play him at guard if you need to. I mean, he could play inside. He could play outside. He's very highly touted. He's he's supposed to be the best offensive lineman on the board. So yeah, if they go with Slater, fine. Like I'm all I'm on board with it for some reason. Like for some reason, I'm on board with an offensive lineman at number eleven with all these talented players available. I'm like talking myself in the offensive lineman. But even if it's not Slater, if like you said, and that's a great, I think there is an absolute chance that they trade back given you know given the situation that you know how it unfolds they could trade back and address the offensive line on day one and get some more picks and for some reason that's probably like the least sexy you know thing they could do like the Kyle Pitts idea is just tremendous right and Mm -hmm. like again it's like it's giving me the hot flashes that Kenny Galladay that (laughs) signing gave me like the Kyle Pitts to the Giants and you pair him with Evan Ingram and now you don't have to worry about the Ingram thing and either they become this elite tandem or you have you know you have your guy and you can let Ingram go finally and move on from that finally if that thing continues but for some reason Dan I, I I'd rather have the offensive lineman so you tell me if I'm crazy but why do I want the Giants to pick you know the old lineman and do the mm-hmm. you know the least sexy thing they could do on day one for some reason that's where I'm at right now well, I, I think that is a logical choice because, listen, we've watched the Giants address most of their serious needs. They have two remaining as of right now. One, they need to you know, still work on that offensive line a little bit. And someone like Slater is a versatile guy who can play multiple positions. He can compete at right tackle. He could compete at right guard, left guard potentially even. So he gives the Giants a lot of potential options. Also, as you said, they could trade back for the first time in Gettleman's career as a general manager and then still end up with a quality offensive lineman plus additional picks. And, you know, with only six picks in the draft, the more you can get for this year and even next year, you know, the better off, you know, the team is. The other side is they need an edge rusher desperately. And there are plenty of those. And it's a sort of the same scenario, like with the quarterbacks, you know, eating up the top of the draft boards and so many teams, you know, positioning themselves to go after some of those quarterbacks. It's going to mean that's, several of those quality edge rushers are going to start to fall and slide a little bit, which again puts the Giants in a position where they could trade back, still land one of them. So whichever one it is that they're targeting, if they're targeting one of those two positions, they're in a, they're in a great spot to either you know, pick whoever is on the top of their draft board at either of those positions or trade back and then pick whoever's at the top of their draft board out of who remains at, at those positions. So you know, neither one edge probably more so than offensive line is a little bit flashier. Uh, neither one of them is going to light the world on fire like a Kyle Pitts would or you know, even like a Patrick Sertan would or, or something along those lines. But the Giants don't have to be flashy. They don't have to be splashy. They don't have to be extravagant in this pick. They just got to do whatever it is that makes this team better. And ideally, it's going to come at one of those two positions. And uh, one of the other questions that I, I frequently have been answering lately is, why would the Giants even dare to consider someone like Kyle Pitts or Patrick Sertan, for that matter, considering they're suddenly deep at both of those positions and as a longtime Giants writer and a longtime Giants fan I'm constantly reminded of things like you know David Wilson and uh, Victor Cruz and Hakeem Nix and and all these great deep positions they have that get damaged by a top-end player suddenly getting hurt and you can never have too much talent in any position especially key positions in the NFL because chances are Someone's going to get hurt at some point. You never want to see any kind of career-altering or career-ending injury. But the Giants do have a history there with a lot of players at at running back, at wide receiver, at cornerback. And these are consistent issues for the team as the years go on because of injuries. So I kind of don't subscribe to that notion that, oh, they shouldn't draft one of the top players at that position because they're deep, especially at, at a position like tight end. You've got 
Evan Ingram, who's going into the last year of his deal. You've got uh, Caden Smith, who's got two years left. You've got the veteran Kyle Rudolph, who signed the two-year deal. So it's not like these are all long-term contracts, and they've had this, you know, this long-term plan at these positions. They don't necessarily. And with someone like Kyle Pitts, yeah, you give yourself a loaded room for one year, but after that, it gives you kind of the freedom to move on from an Evan Ingram if you want to, or a Caden Smith if you want to, or a Kyle Rudolph if you want to, and then you still have that top end talent at the position a year from now. So. Like I said, I don't subscribe to that theory that they shouldn't draft at one of those positions because they're deep. You take whoever the best player on your board is, and that's that's it, period. Yeah, and, and they're in that position, right? Because in this article about the five potential rookies they could take, you cover inside linebacker, corner, O-line, tight end, and edge, right? So it's five different positions. So you, you called it a wide net. They could cast a wide net, Dan. That's what it is. Right? We have no freaking clue what the Giants are going to do, which makes this draft really, really fun. But yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting to see Gettleman be super aggressive in free agency and then trade back in the draft like that would be <laughs> such a, that, that would be different right so that would be fun <laughs> that would be a cool little change of pace I like that right. thing but again uh, I'm all in on the offensive lineman unless Kyle Pitts is available if Kyle Pitts is available then forget right, about yeah. it that's the guy we want yeah absolutely right. I agree with you 100 percent right. and you know for me I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at what the Giants have now at corner with Bradbury and they just signed a Dory Jackson. You still got Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan, Xavier McKinney, like this whole crew. Why would you bring in Patrick Sertan? Because he's a freaking potential stud. That's why, right? right. So you just exactly. bring him in. I agree with you. So as I continue to just talk through all these uh these different names, and yes, the edge rusher I saw touchdown wire had the Giants trading right. back and taking Quiddy Payne, who's supposed to be a freak of nature from Michigan, the, an edge rusher guy. So there's all kinds of different ways the Giants could go here, but I think as I talk through this, Dan, I just have no freaking clue. And that, that's yep. what makes this fun. This is going to be a fun draft. I think that's that's a testament to what, you know, Gettleman and Kevin Abrams have done this offseason as they position the Giants um, in a place where they where they can. Where they can pick and choose, and they don't have to pick a, a specific position. And uh, that's, that's a great place for them to be. It's where they need to be. And it, it certainly opens up a lot of options. And I think the greatest thing about both edge rusher and offensive line going into this draft is – you don't have to stretch yourself to pick one or the other at number 11 or in round one, wherever you may end up, because it's deep. They're deep at those positions and at wide receivers. So the Giants could theoretically go into those drafts, get a quality first day starting offensive lineman and edge rusher, and then still add yet another quality wide receiver to, you know, to the group going into next season, which is exactly what Daniel Jones needs. And you can end up picking, you know, a third string running back somewhere down the line, deeper in the draft. And and then you're set, you know, that's it. You've now covered all of the bases and you go into next season for the first time in what feels like a long time with a deep roster of quality players at almost every single position. I like it. This is a, this is a hyped up giant season, Dan. It's it is. Good, I mean, man. And then, and then it goes back to what Mara said. You know, it circles all back around. You got to win now, though. It's, it's all Absolutely. exciting and fun in games, but you got to win. Now. Yeah, it's an exciting offseason. But just remember, we're 18 and 46 the last four seasons. So what the hell are the Giants going to do in, in the first round of the draft on day two? Well, Dan and I will continue to keep trying to figure it out. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for joining us. 
This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.